Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, folks. Just wanted to jump on Mike before we start the show and give a shout out to our sponsor on this episode. And it's our friends over at Aero Video. And specifically here to shout out a couple Blu-ray releases that they have put out in the last couple weeks. Available now, you can purchase Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys in a new edition uh, with a cool new cover. And Arrow Academy, their offshoot that does a little more of the uh, more serious fare, uh, has put out a new version of Distant Voices Still Lives, a film by Terrence Davies, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is quite beautiful. So can't wait to catch up with that and then to get a new look at this, uh, this 12 Monkeys Blu-ray. Pick those up if you like wherever you get your your Blu-rays or DVDs, and we thank Arrow Video for their support of this show. And now on to the show. Only love could bring us, bring us to this bitter plane. Only one of us who's gonna walk away. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Adjust Your Tracking is part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes and episodes for our other shows on the network at theplaylist.net. And just search the Playlist Podcast Network on your podcatcher of choice. Hey, Joe, uh, what, are we, what are we talking about today, man? Well, well Eric, um, we're going to be discussing the new film by... Writer-director Steve McQueen, not to be confused with the other Steve McQueen, who's long since dead, rest in peace. Um, but Steve McQueen, who is responsible for at least, have we discussed two of his films on the podcast? Yeah, Shame <laughs> and 12 Years a Slave, yes. Yeah, I think Shame was, we definitely had it on both of our uh, end of 2011 lists when yes. we were doing our, our first podcast, most likely. Mm-hmm. And then 12 Years a Slave, uh, two years later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so this is his, his new film, which I don't know. It's like an interesting, um, like it's, it sort of is a culmination of a lot of the things we find ourselves talking about where you have, uh, an idiosyncratic, very signature filmmaker, visionary filmmaker. You know, I would even argue for someone like Steve McQueen, who's like so meticulous and, um, you know, getting to a point where he can maybe with the clout he has from like, you know, Oscar consideration and just like the overall kind of pull his movies have, he gets to kind of do what he wants, you would hope. Yeah. And a lot of times these filmmakers will then get absorbed into a system that sort of gradually drains them of their idiosyncrasies and their charms and what makes them visionary filmmakers. And they just get swallowed into a system. Um, with Widows, he's approaching a bigger movie, a genre movie. It is not part of the machinery of 
Marvel, Disney, Star Wars that we're often bemoaning, but it is like it's a bigger genre movie, but it's a type of genre movie that you and I also sort of miss. It's an it's an adult, not porn, but it's like a it's a mature genre picture. This is a crime movie about a group of women who are all um left behind after their husbands are all killed in a heist they don't know each other but they're brought together in the aftermath of all of their um husbands dying in this heist gone wrong and they band together and pull off their own heist um that's the pitch and like this is a sort of michael mann ish inspired uh just like crime saga that like, you know, as he steps up into a a sort of bigger vehicle, Mm. like this is a vehicle that isn't outside of like something that you and I sort of miss and want. So this was like an exciting kind of, this is an exciting project, you know, especially after I watched the first trailer for it, I was like, Oh, this, this looks promising. Cause like Steve McQueen often, uh, in his sort of artful meditative films is, you know, they're not easy to take so far his movies. You have a movie like hunger. Yes. Uh, where, where like he's just often showing people push to absolute extremes mm-hmm. and like how that, how people find themselves amidst the obliteration of their character, essentially. So with hunger, you have someone literally starving themselves to death in an Irish prison. In shame, it's someone going through the oblivion of addiction. In 12 Years a Slave, you have someone like enduring the cruelty of slavery in early America. And so like these are these are tough. These are endurance tests. These are like, you know, artful and incredibly like visually arresting films, but they are people being pushed to the brink and the sort of extremity that comes with that. And with widows, it's like, it's a movie with payoff. It's a yes. movie that, like though people are pushed to genre extremes, there still is a conventional kind of roller coaster track that you're moving along. That's going to whisk you through the sort of the harder parts, you know? <laughs> and so like, this was, this was like an exciting kind of, kind of thing to be moving towards in the fall season which is typically our season so um yeah i got a chance to see it a few weeks ago at beyond fest mm-hmm. played to a sold out audience and uh played really well very very crowd pleasuring mm-hmm. um but well tell me about your experience with it oh well uh i think this movie does play very well in a crowd uh i felt that too in my screening last week which was one of those uh you know for press and the public Um, Mm -hmm. often the nightmare screenings that we've attended in the past, but, uh, this one, you know, maybe two thirds full. So it was, it was a pretty good crowd. And I, the movie did seem to play pretty well for the audience. Um, it was even one of those screenings where people in front of and behind me, like someone would shoot someone and be like, Oh no. Oh, she shot him. Oh, he shot her. Like they were like commenting on the movie, you know? Yeah, uh, which is annoying, but also sometimes I'm just like I kind of find it charming that someone is so lost in a movie that they yeah. So so I was kind of vibing off of that. Um, yeah. my own personal reaction, I thought the first half was much better than the second half of this movie. <laughs> um, but I still like it a lot. Um, a lot of it is for the exact reasons that you've laid out. Like 
I, I started thinking about movies like The Departed or some of Ben Affleck's directorial efforts, like The Town and Argo of like, Absolutely. yeah, we just don't get many of these movies. And this is certainly a top tier one that to me, like in terms of cast top to bottom, I'd say it even destroys something like The Departed, which is such a beautifully cast movie from top to bottom itself. But this one, I think, is even more like just just packed to the brim with with really uh, varied performances, but just everybody, everybody's really good in this movie. And they kind of needed to be because yeah. a lot of it is done. A lot, a lot of characters are done almost in sketch form. Like you just don't have many scenes to work with and they have to be established. So I think, I think everybody's doing really fine work in this movie. I think ultimately I wouldn't say it's undone, but I did fall into something that's becoming, I think a big stopping point for me or a big, uh, a big thing that like nags me with movies is I, I do think uh, that this would have been better served actually as a longer form miniseries and choosing the right medium to tell your story. And I, I uh, though widows is based on, it looks like several iterations of a previous TV series um, where the premise is the same, essentially that women of armed robbers who have been killed, take on the a heist for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be the, the commonality in, in it is it, those were all miniseries. They all were like four plus hours. They had time to breathe. And I do think that this movie, especially when it gets twisty, uh, the Steve McQueen movie. Yeah. That's when I started to feel the lack of like depth to it, where it was using a lot of shorthand and I think it uses it very well and cinematically, yeah. but everything was so sketched out after a while that I, it just wasn't enough time to let it breathe. And then it's not that it got silly. It's just that it then starts to ramp up into more of a traditional genre movie. And I just felt like there were pieces missing for it to really lock in there. There are some like really startling like technical things in this movie that like from the very beginning like the movie starts off quietly with a tender moment between viola davis and liam neeson who plays her husband in it who is one of like he's the sort of mastermind behind the heist we're finding out slowly through shorthand which the movie isn't sort of like overly expository doesn't explain like everything to you but like in this first kind of opening stretch there's like a startling juxtaposition between like a tender moment between them and then a hard cut to like the middle of the heist where things are already going wrong. So, and so there's like, there's something, the movie's so technically just in terms of its technique intelligent that like when the movie does start to ramp up and like you were saying, get twisty and like hit these moments of like reveals you know, there there is like such a sense of sophistication to the production of the movie. Yeah. That like as holes start to possibly crop up, you're like, <sighs> you I, I started to like doubt them. I'm like, well, am I just missing something? Or like and then once I got out of the movie and was sort of out of the spell of it and out of like the kind of getting swept up in the momentum of it, like I was just like, wait, but that didn't make any sense. You know, like so there were <laughs> holes that I walked away from that like I think over the course of what could have been episodes and an episodic structure could have been smoothed out and explained but because there is such a propulsive quality to the narrative when you are sitting down for like a feature albeit it's a feature that's over two hours Mm -hmm. you kind of just still have to like rush through everything you know and like it, it is very beneficial that you have the sort of like monster good cast that they have, yes. you know, you've got 
Michelle Rodriguez. You have Daniel Kaluuya. Oh my God. He's so good. (laughs) He like, he does the, okay. So there's (laughs) plenty of merit to this movie. So as we sort of get into, you know, plot holes and stuff like that, we won't give away too much, but like, you know, despite its flaws, there is so much to revel in. And one of it, one of the things is like his performance. He's one of the heavies, like he's a villain and he is like the best kind of cinematic villain because <laughs> like as instantly terrifying as he is with his kind of like detached gaze as he stares at people, you cannot stop watching him. Mm-hmm. Like he is magnetic in terms of like trying to figure out what makes his character tick as he's like the henchman of somebody who's running for you know, like city government in the, in the city that the, the heist, the whole movie is taking place in. He's like, he's the sort of right hand man. Who's like an enforcer and like watching his sadism play out and trying to figure out, get a beat on where he's coming from is like one of the most tense and unnerving parts of the movie. Definitely. And it's, yeah, it's just so generous in terms of it's the tension that it, it supplies. And the movie's a lot stranger in these moments, I find. Uh, Steve McQueen is one of those directors that, you know, kind of started in art. You know, he's he's an artist, uh, you know, doing a lot of installations and things like that. He's got an artsy sensibility. So there's strangeness in all of his films, even as he's become more, you know, mainstream, I guess. But Uh yeah, there's a sequence where Daniel Kaluuya, I mean, he's essentially like a Joe Pesci type character from Goodfellas, right? Like he is the loose cannon, but he's not funny in the way that Joe Pesci is, except in this scene where he makes two, uh, two like lower on the lower on the criminal ladder, like uh, a couple criminals that they work with makes them sort of wrap what happened. Uh, and they, they're trying to get some answers from these guys. And he, the stare you're talking about, he like mm-hmm. sort of follows around and just gets in this guy's face <clears throat> and makes you feel so uncomfortable that it releases like a laugh was released from the audience in those moments. Uh-huh. And, and then you get the tear and then you get the absolute buttoning of that scene. And yeah. it's strange because you're like that the way that scene starts is very weird. I'll just sort of leave it there and not give it away. Um, it's not that it would spoil anything. It's just like where that scene starts and where it ends is very strange. And uh, I liked that the, the, the hyper uh, intercutting you're referring to in the opening where Viola Davis, who's the lead and Liam Neeson are just like lovingly just uh, uh, just, you know, in bed together, just like they look very intimate. It's They're waking very, up. Yeah, exactly. It's this beautiful image of them. And then the cuts to the heist going wrong. And you're able to pick that up because if you're familiar with these type of movies, it's like it throws you in in a good way. And I liked the strangeness of the movie in the beginning. The fact that it was telling its familiar kind of story in a in an exciting way. And, um, you know, there's nothing... Uh, the technical proficiency that you have talked about with McQueen's film is on full display. I feel like especially in the, la- the first half where there's a shot in this movie that I think like is up there with one of my favorites of the year, just most memorable in what it conveys with no dialogue or seemingly no dialogue. There's um, it's fairly early on and Colin Farrell's giving a, a speech because uh, he's on uh, he's up for election in this part of Chicago where he's uh, trying to maintain a sort of family legacy of of people that have been elected uh, in this particular part of Chicago and where he's given the speech is in a, you know, it's like uh, it's a neighborhood that is, certainly struggling. Uh, it's much more African American, uh, 
like heavy than, and he's of course a white guy, white politician in there. And he's, he's sort of doing the thing, you know, the politician thing. He's trying to empower people of this neighborhood. He's saying all the right things. And we follow him into his car where he gets driven by a black driver and all the dialogue is happening with him and his like assistant in the backseat of the car. But the camera stays locked on the hood of the car. I'm sure, you know, the, the scene I'm talking about, Joe. Yeah. 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 And the, it, like it started to puzzle the audience. I was watching yes. it with and oh, then, and, like, it's, it's done in one unbroken take that goes from it doesn't it isn't entirely the speech into the car. I think it's like from like watching them get into the car. Yep. And then, but once they're in the car, it's a tracking shot (laughs) that then concentrates on the car the entire time. And it's just, it's odd watching a scene of dialogue play out while the people who are talking are essentially not seen. So it's like focusing on the front of the car while this entire scene of dialogue is playing out. And then they get out of the car and that's the end of the scene and the take. And so I think it, it resulted in people applauding because it was just like it was such a a technically bold thing to try to pull off. So bold. Right. And yeah, so bold. Yeah. And it says several things to me that if if I think it showed the difficulty of McQueen trying to squeeze this movie into a two hours. But there are moments like this that prove he had the he's just so gifted cinematically that he was like finding a good visual way to imply a bunch of information. So in that long take, you're sitting there wondering like, why am I, like you said, it's strange. Why am I hearing the dialogue from people inside the car? But I'm sort it of, it seems like a mistake. Kind it of, seems like it a mistake. Just like, yes. And then the car, the yeah. camera starts to like pan over and everything they've been saying. Suddenly you're like, okay, I can now see the black driver that they have and the things they've been saying. You're like, well, that that tells me it's got a racial component where this driver hears him talking about this. He knows things about this politician that the public does not know, you know, things that show he isn't such a maybe clean cut, good, upstanding guy. And he might look down on people uh, in the neighborhood he just came from. And as it's panning over even more within like a minute or two of this one long take, you'd see how little time it takes to go from, I guess, uh, for lack of a better description, a bad neighborhood to a very affluent, rich neighborhood. And it ain't that yeah. far. And this movie wraps all that up in one shot and then tries to, it's a beautiful moment. It's a strange moment. Yeah. That's, that's essentially my point. I love that it weirded out the audience because you get a sense of unease and tension developing. And then I right. kind of loved how that was performed. Yeah. Um, I wanted more of that in the movie, but maybe that's too much to ask for because like moments like that are still great on their own. Um, yeah, I just got less of those as the movie went. I think you, when you couple that with like the sort of the sort of bold opening that the movie has, there is something there is like a technical wizardry yeah. <laughs> that like is is like employed by Steve McQueen that you sort of it's what you've come to sort of expect from his movies. Um, and I think taking those techniques that have typically been applied to kind of uh, har- harsher movies um, and then applying it to a more kind of crowd pleasing genre experience is, is like, it's still pretty experimental and like you, you know, it re- reminds me of, you know, you mentioned like Ben Affleck and Martin Scorsese with the departed, but there's like filmmakers like Steven Soderbergh who, you know, he, he was at one point known for very experimental films. And then when he ventured into more kind of 
crowd pleasing fair, like out of sight, you still got touches of what he was good at, like in jumping time periods and using just sort of like interesting angles and stuff like that. And like, uh, just uh, how he he works with his actors to get something kind of like genuine like a genuine chemistry out of them mm-hmm. like what worked about his movies in the more experimental sense was then applied to something that was a little more conventional and i think like that's that's true with with widows as well and with like steve mcqueen in this regard it's just that yeah what like as you got into the the struggle that the women were kind of going through that they were like pl- plotting this heist. I think what could have been teased out and built more naturalistically was the tension. And we've talked about this with kind of Jeremy Saunier's movies about how Mm. like there's a, there's a violence with his films that um, it finds a new terrain of tension. When you put the violence in the hands of people who are incapable of handling it or dealing with it. Mm, And so it, it opens up this whole like playing field of like, of realism that like escalates a sense of like tension that we're kind of used to experiencing. So with widows, it's like you have these people who've never necessarily pulled off a crime that they're attempting to pull off in this movie. Mm -hmm. And so the tension of these people who are incapable potentially at first of handling it, then preparing themselves to like, that's a whole terrain that you, you can experience like a sense of newness with, you know, that like because the movie is, you know, just over two hours, it can't really luxuriate in that tension. It has to kind of like shorthand it and it has to make it kind of brisk and rush through it, which I think is a detriment to a sort of main point of exploration in this storyline and like sort of lends itself to be more episodic though I loved seeing the stuff that it did pull off on the big screen in a theater full of people, you know, yeah, it's what, there's a lot of push and pull for me with this movie because, and I've already sort of gotten to it. It's like, gosh, I, I want these kind of movies in regular abundance, yeah. you know, and they're so rare. And I, I liked it overall. I can't, you know, I, I, I think it's too well-made and especially I think so beautifully acted by like everybody doing their own thing in it, that it really is. It shows like how, key like uh like a, just a top-notch cast can just elevate everything yeah um because the movie needed that because it is lacking it, it you i could almost feel episode breaks in this movie and i guess if my biggest knock on something is that hey i i wish it were a lot longer i mean there are far worse things to, to yeah, have yeah. and yeah. again i just think it's a matter of like I, I I have to applaud the ambition and the storytelling too because they try to pack in more uh, this isn't like a pretentious take on an, on a genre movie. I think it's, it's more of like, we want to take this seriously in the way that a Michael Mann does, or, yeah. um, you know, there, uh, Steven Soderbergh in his own way with maybe stuff like traffic, you know, or, or whatever yeah. it, they want to take it seriously. So it's, they try to put a lot in there. And I think it's mostly really like weaved in together. It's just, uh, you know, when you, when you're piling on like gerrymandering, uh, police, uh, essentially racist killings by police officers. You've got, you know, just all this politicking going on, like small community politics, uh, Chicago in general as a city and like the different neighborhoods and boroughs of it. You know, there's, there's a lot going on even beyond the interpersonal relationships. Um, I, I can't fault the movie for its ambition. And I, I like it a lot more because of what it's going for, but it's that kind of thing where, where like, 
if if this were like a five hour miniseries on Amazon or Netflix or something like that, we, I I don't know if we need more of those. But like if Steve McQueen yeah. did it, I just think like it could have been made the same way. Uh, had all these impressive technical shots that we're referring to and all the great acting. And it, it, I want to see it on the big screen, but yet if I had that time, that, that novel, like uh depth to it, man, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think we'd be talking about like the next true detective like that. That's how I felt where, so when I left, when I came out of my screening, the, the sense of, I guess what turned into disappointment uh, when I left was just like, ah, oh, I just, I saw something great. <clears throat> there potentially but what yeah. i got was like a really good a, a, a good adult not porn uh genre movie you know and uh for gotta you gotta and you know the uh, last couple months we've seen some movies like bad times at the el royale uh just this last weekend overlord not movies that are in the same sort of tier as widows but they are right. mid mid-budgeted genre movies that are like r-rated that that, that they've struggled at the box office. And th- those look a little more like uh, middle of the road, but they looked fun. Um, so I'm hoping Widows, because of its elevated, kind of everything else just being sort of prestigious and elevated, hopefully it doesn't fall trapped to the same thing because this movie is good enough that it deserves to be like a hit. Um, so, you know, I- I'm excited to see what's going to happen with it. And I want, I- I'm hoping people go to see it, but I hope it doesn't suffer the same fate that we're seeing lately with some of these some of these other movies. Yeah. And I, we've definitely talked about how like be, because of the absence of a certain type of movie of a certain type of sophisticated movie for adults that tends to, you know, play more genre specific and isn't necessarily an awards bait movie, which is where you find like a, a majority of sort of adult centric films anymore. But like those types of movies, they tend to get glommed onto and like hyper identified because of the overall absence of their type and like there's a burden placed on them where you know like you and i walk away and we're like well like you know it's good but like there are flaws but then you start to feel guilty identifying the flaws because it's like look (laughs) i want this movie and movies like it to keep existing and this type of film you know being being a sophisticated genre movie you know, in the vein of like a Michael Mann type movie, it seems like Michael Mann, you and I were discussing kind of off mic and through text about how he he's a reference point this year more than others. Whereas like, you know, Stanley Kubrick may have belonged to the last couple years in terms of people pointing at like, oh, it's very Kubrickian or the right. score is very John Carpentery. Like it feels like there's like a, there's Michael Mann's in the air a little bit. Definitely. In the air <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, a movie like this and then like later this year, we're going to get Karen Kusama, director of the Invitations new movie Destroyer, which like the trailer, though looking entirely visionary in its own right, definitely feels like it, it has some kind of heat like Michael Mann qualities to it. Yeah. You know, a, a, a Southern California crime saga movie and even... um Craig Zoller's new film, uh, Dragged Across Concrete, definitely has some 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 Michael Mannish qualities. So it's like his that his type of movie, like his last movie that came out, what was that called? Black Hat. Black Hat. I knew it's like Black Fish. Did he make a documentary about SeaWorld? Um but uh but like nobody really checked for that movie. And no. 
I, re- I remember it being kind of like a sort of sad point where it's like his type of like his his thoughtful existential sophisticated genre work seems to be missing from movies but even when he provides it in some regard like people aren't necessarily checking for it so it's like this is something that we miss and when it when it arrives where we tend to like gush over it but you know like so it's 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 a weird pickle to be in to be like yeah but uh, there's plot points and i don't really understand what colin farrell's character has to do with Mm, yes this character and like (laughs) why would he be at this person's funeral like if he's a if he's in the government like what the fuck is going and so like there's just like holes that like popped out later after the sort of sophistication of the movie wore off. Mm-hmm. But like, is it worth deterring people from going to experience something like this big and sophisticated in the theater? No, like, because there is so much payoff to the movie, right? Especially with the cast. And you have like Brian Tyree Gibson from TV's Atlanta. Who's uh, outstanding. Brian Tyree uh, Henry, Henry. Okay. Why did I say Gibson? I don't know. He and Daniel Kaluuya are like the two two of the heavier you know hitters in the movie in terms of like a villainous presence, and they're both outstanding. Like oh, they, they absolutely they play so well off each other and off the sort of like discomfort of of the other characters in the movie that it's it's a real pleasure to watch it happen. You know who I was reminded of villain wise. Um, was it was one of the only takeaways from the Shaft remake? Uh, oh yeah, two thousand. But Jeffrey Wright in mm. the Shaft remake is so delightfully unnerving that I was just like, the, there there are a few like villains that really just jump off the screen. That right. I was just like, they are a delight. I want them. Like I just want more of this. Like even though it stresses me the fuck out. Like. <laughs> Like, I just remember him being so over the top menacing and like magnetic to watch. I was just like, ah, oh, him, more him. He's the movie. Such Whatever a good his reference. character's name is, name the movie after him. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, it, that's, that's the fun part of Widows that I would say, compared to any other Steve McQueen movie, the, the genre, the generic conventions of Widows makes it enjoyable and thrilling, really. Like, and, uh, that's that's a new side to him as a filmmaker that I like seeing, and you really see him dig into that, and you get more of it again in that first half with the the Daniel Kaluuya and the Brian Tyree Henry characters, like setting them up and how they fit into it. I really liked being like brought through that too, and it's just like those characters really, uh, those actors really lean into that part, and. Um, you know, if we're even just looking at, I've seen Daniel Kaluuya in a few things like his black mirror episode and stuff like that, but compared to even his performance from get out last year where he's a sympathetic character, I mean, you're just getting to see such different range, uh, such range. Absolutely. There's something about his eyes too. I guess we're focusing on that. His stare, he has these big eyes and that it, the way it's shot, the way he is conveyed in this movie, um, really just takes advantage of that. Um, you know, uh, so anyway, I, I, I revel in that stuff too. I, I really like it. I just, uh, uh, I guess again, as, as I was thinking more about like the fact that if this was a mini series, um, th- this really, the, I think the place for, for widows, if it were that is like this, I really wish it would have been like an HBO series. It's even co-written by Jillian Flynn, who has, uh, you know, she wrote, 
the book Gone Girl. I think she wrote the mm-hmm. script for the the film adaptation. Yeah. She uh, had her book Sharp Objects made by HBO. It's like she's already sort of in that system in some ways. And um, it just uh, I would have loved it if this was like a big HBO miniseries. But um, the the Jillian Flynn thing, uh, which I'm not aware enough of, of her, uh, all her material, all her books. And I don't know if you are either, but like, she does seem to fall into a certain twisty storytelling that mm. at this point, just based on what I've seen, sharp objects, gone girl in this, and, uh, also the girl on the train is she just seems to be sort of falling onto like certain crutches as a writer. Like I I saw a similar thing happen with M night Shyamalan in the, in the early two thousands where it's not the same thing, but uh, you start to see how writers get successful with certain things. And I'm, I don't know. It's one of these cases with widows. I just don't know how much to attribute it to Jillian Flynn because McQueen is a co-writer. It's adapted from something else, but um I don't know. I guess. I guess if but I haven't her her attraction to the material seems to stem from her tendencies as a writer, anyway. Right. So. Right. Right. And and uh, less. I'm less enamored with this like falling susceptible to certain twisty storytelling that I just sometimes when it doesn't work as it did uh, at later points in the movie for me it's like it's deflating a little bit. Yeah. But uh, but the other thing I really like that is common in her work that I've seen is. Not necessarily feminist empowerment. I think all of her movies and Widows is, uh, I think, definitely understandably being sold as this sort of, hey, the the, the women in this movie are going to take charge. They've been wronged by their men. There's only, there's only a few things that connect these women together that leads to them pulling off this heist. And it's essentially that they've all been pinned into a corner by the men in their life. Mm-hmm. And so it's got a beautiful surface level like, hey, like I think that's the thing that's going to, um, bring the attention for this movie for an audience that, that an audience will show up for. I did appreciate that. It is slightly more complicated than that. Like um, in some ways, uh, like how the Suspiria remake, which please, please don't uh, sigh too hard, Joe, but like that movie I thought was like a little more complicated in what it was telling. It wasn't just some feminist empowerment story. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop talking about Suspiria remake. I'll leave it in the background, but um, I just appreciated. I, just, I wanted the side to be. I wanted just to overwhelm everything. <laughs> it was pretty good, pretty good. Um, but I, I do like that aspect of of Gillian Flynn's writing, or just stuff that she's a part of, because Steve McQueen is uh, and her um, and and all the people working on this movie. They're clearly they're too smart to just make it something simple. Like they add layers yeah. to it, and um, you you can uh, another just sort of thematic element that I really really appreciate of this movie is the way it sort of weaves in like politicians are kind of the worst people in this movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, that's maybe an easy, uh, simple way to put it, but, uh, I appreciated the way the crime elements, um, weaved into a more like, and this is again, where I think a longer storytelling canvas would have helped it, but like, it could have become like, like how David Simon weaves crime story elements in all his series with like, you know, straight up just political, like backroom dealings and, and how it actually works on the ground floor with these things. There's, there's a lot of ambition to this movie and a lot that I appreciate. Um, uh, but now I'm probably going in, in circles where I'm just saying like, I just would have loved to let it breathe a little bit longer. Cause that stuff yeah. is so, so good. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what you're, what you're touching on too, with like the, the kind of like feminist angle that the movie's being sold as like, there's definitely, you know, in, in times of like such 
uncertainty with like, you know, politics and like our current government getting, you know, even though we've just we're in the aftermath of an election where tides may start to turn, there still seems to be, at least in the rhetoric of a certain camp of the government, there seems to be a terrible regression that seems pretty malignant in our culture right now. And so to see it addressed and uh, kind of focused on through our art and our entertainment, I think has become like a, a very valuable way for people to have some sort of outlet where things are addressed. And when I saw the movie at Beyond Fest, it was at the tail end of the the Brett Kavanaugh, like, you know, mm-hmm. sessions and so uh, it was announced with like, I just want to see women kick ass tonight. And like the whole audience exploded. And like that was, it was, I think that the, if the movie's being sold in that way, it's not entirely the thrust of the movie, but I think it is a component that does offer something kind of refreshing in its approach to like the crime genre. Mm-hmm. And you, I think you're right, though, that like the what could have been explored with nuance and subtlety needed a little bit more room in terms of its like staging and in terms of how much time it could take to build its narrative. And so, yeah, like we're constantly like, we're fucking contradicting ourselves, like <laughs> more movies in the theater. This should have been on TV. You <laughs> assholes, you're never happy. But basically, I think what it comes down to is there's too much good stuff in this movie to dissuade you from the things that might be like, you know, that we might be critical of and, right. and we, we want you to see it so we can discuss the things that are both good and flawed about the movie. Exactly. So it's, go it's see more... it. Go see it in the theater. <laughs> I mean, hell if nothing else, there's even a new Sade song at the credits of this movie. Yeah. Dude, you remember Sade? Sade. Yeah. The, the credits came on and I was like, Oh Wait, shit. Is this Sade? Yeah. I was like, so, you know, and then I went home and I, I listened to her version of ordinary love. And I was just like, Man, you remember Sade? So like, there's a lot of cool shit in this movie. Again, that's that's the stuff that I think we should, uh, you know, highlight. It's, um, yeah, you know, we're we're, we're contradicting ourselves, but I, I think more than anything, this is a this is a, a discussion that's hopefully trying to convince you, like, go see this movie. It comes out Friday. It's it's uh it's it's one that deserves an audience for sure. Yeah, and I I, I think it might might get one. Yeah, I could see this one really doing well if we think about. Um, like the Halloween uh, sequel that came out a few weeks ago uh, that I think really landed a huge opening weekend because I think a lot of people were galvanized by what seemed like uh, not necessarily a feminist bent, but uh, a a movie that's trying to turn the perspective where like women are somewhat like the ones kicking ass in that movie, or Mm -hmm. you're, you're seeing the way things affect generations in that movie. I just think this is a good angle for Hollywood movies to start leaning into. I mean, not just because cynically it's good for business, not at all that. It's that this is a new way to approach these stories. And I think the audiences are showing up for it. You know, they, Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm with you. I think this movie could really do well. And um, that's the best thing because that, if it does, that means McQueen doesn't have to do TV and he can do TV when he feels like doing it. You know, he doesn't have to resort to it. Keep giving us more cinema. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I guess it's that thing where, you know, uh, what we, we try to, we, it, I guess it's, uh, it's just underlining the fact that like, you know, our type of criticism, the way we're talking about movies, sometimes you're going to knock on something you like. It's, it's more complicated than just good, bad, great, awful. You know, this, 
this movie is good, but, you know, good, but a few other things. Good um, and. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, well, all right, man. It feels like we're uh, we're kind of winding down. What do you say? Should we wrap this one up? Yeah, let's do it. So just chill to the next episode. All right, so we are wrapping up episode 190 of Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, you can find all our episodes at theplaylist.net. Just click on the podcast tab there. And uh, you can also find us on your podcatcher of choice at the Playlist Podcast Network. Just search for that and you'll find um, our shows, uh, the regular Playlist Podcast on there, Indie Beats, Over Under Movies. Um, and those are the shows on the network at the moment. So uh, you can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. Uh, you know, and that would, uh, be, well, and I guess the other important thing, if you like our show, pass it on to some people, you know, rate and review that helps too. Uh, we'd be very thankful, but nowhere near as thankful as I am to get to chat with you, Joe. Thanks, Eric.